You're listening to Portfolio Builders, a WealthCap Holdings podcast about long-term wealth building and financial independence. Hi, ladies. Welcome back to today's episode of the Lady Landlords podcast. Today, we have on Taylor Welsh from WealthCap, who we're going to be talking about the idea of generational wealth and why this is important to so many of you out there. So Taylor, thank you so much for, for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time. It's amazing. Thank you for having me. I'm not a lady, but I am, uh, I'm surrounded by ladies. We have a two-year-old daughter, obviously my wife. Both of our dogs are girl dogs. So it's like, my, I tell people I'm in an estrogen house and uh, it's amazing. I love it. So thanks for even having down, me. Even down to the dogs. I love Down that. to the dogs, all ladies. Right. <laughs> well, so I, you have a amazing portfolio, not only within real estate, but within just wealth building in general. Can you share a little bit about where you kind of came from and how you got to where you are today? Hundred percent. So, actually, funny enough, my uh, my first career job was at a church in 2012. When, if you ask, like, if you ask my mom, what did Taylor want to be when he was growing up? Uh, she'll tell you he wanted to be a cowboy and he wanted to be a preacher, both both at the same time. It's like my dream. And so I got into uh, I got into church life. I was on staff at a church in Memphis and uh, through a series of events, got offered a, uh, a gig in real estate. It was a massive turnkey company in Memphis, Tennessee, and they were, you know, 100, 115 houses a month, like really big. I didn't know what I was doing, but I took the job and was into property management and uh, people ask today, they're like, you know, how did you learn real estate? I'm like, I actually worked for, I think, one of the best companies in the world at the time in the real estate market. And I learned on the job. And mm-hmm. from there, went into marketing, got into the marketing business, started building the portfolio of service businesses. And in 2018, we got our first, you know, substantial tax bill. You know, you, so you, you're being in New York, like you understand, like, yes, taxes, what the tax rates look like. And so me and my business partner were freaking out because we had never had any income to really be taxed that way before. Yeah. So we started looking for ways to not avoid taxes, but to protect the money that was coming in from the services side, because it's not like we were spending it. We, we were paying ourselves pretty modest, but we, it was staying in the business. We were getting taxed on the businesses. So long story short, we got back into real estate in 2000 and the beginning of 2019, because real estate is obviously it's a, it's an appreciating asset. It's a cash flowing asset, but a lot of people miss out and probably your crew knows this because you're teaching it. It is a depreciating asset, which entitles you to some incredible tax advantages. And so all I had to do was really get back and kind of dust off uh, the skills because I came from that world. We started buying properties. We started in Dallas, Texas. We've got into Birmingham, Alabama, Kansas City, Missouri, expanding into Charlotte, North Carolina. And that was like my first you know, when I was working in the business in 2012, 2013-ish around there, okay. I didn't have any money, but I was learning the skill sets. And then fast forward to 2019, it was me getting back into the game, but I had money to play with. <laughs> and so it was a very different experience because all of a sudden it's like when you're using your money, it's like, well, I don't, I can't lose. I can't have a vacancy ever, you know? And um, it, so it was interesting. And, you know, we pioneered some new ways of buying, pioneered some new acquisitions methods. And so anyways, long story short, the whole story connects through to today where, you know, we basically take the cash flow from the services side of the business and we just lateral move it into good lands, good properties, and put great renters in the houses today. And that's what we do. It's the majority of where our money goes as of right now. 
I think that's fantastic. Your story has like so much. I want to kind of like kind of uncompact this for a second here. So one thing that like I really heard that I think is great from your story is that networking idea. When years ago, you ended up just kind of falling into real estate, as many of us do. We call ourselves like the accidental landlords, right? Yep. So it seems yep. like it was just someone of someone of someone ended up realizing that you needed work. It just happened to be real estate that you kind of fell into. And you just kind of kept that in the back in your the back of your mind, right? It was something that you had worked in. It was really, yep. it sounds like at that point in time for you, it was just a paycheck. It was just an ends to a mean. It was something that paid your rent at the end of the month um, and just kept that couple of dollars in your pocket. You didn't yep. really do much. And also for many of us, you probably didn't realize what a powerful vehicle it was at that time, 100%. right? Yeah. But it really was just from talking to people and letting people know that you were looking for work that you ended up in real estate. Yep. So I think it's really cool that just having those conversations and being open to what you were looking for led to a job, which then kind of led to what you would end up making, um, creating greater wealth with um, down the line just a few years later. The and, yeah. What, one other thing to add to that is, is people don't ever, people don't know how to help you unless you tell them. And Agreed. I think sometimes people get really timid and it's like, man, they, they don't actually share what's on their heart. They don't share their goals. They don't share where they want to be in life. And so if the people around you don't have any sort of, ex, you know, understanding about how they can plug you into that, then they never will. And that's not their fault. It really is. You know, it comes down to a confidence issue, but so I'm, I'm a proponent of, not only the networking aspect, but being really honest and open with people about this is what I'd love to do. This is where I'd like to go. And then when people will actually step up and connect you with those people. So you're hundred percent. And that's one of the things that like, I love to be like a big proponent of is just being that active person to just tell everybody what it is that you're actually looking for. Um, yeah. so some of our listeners do know that this is, this is not my first business, if you will. I used to own a tour company in Spain for many years. Um, I owned a bar in Portugal. And then when I moved back to the States, I had a medical consulting company. And when I had my medical consulting company here in New York, I was never telling the people that I knew. Nobody in my actual circle knew what I did. I was, so I never got any of those referrals because the yeah. people that I talked to on a regular basis had no idea what I was doing. Then right. it was more of, I'm like cold calling, hoping that that will somehow lead to a relationship. I went into real estate investing in a completely different way. I tell every single person <laughs> what I'm looking for, what I'm doing, because I can't tell you how many times, Taylor, I've had people that'll call me back and be like, hey, I don't know exactly what you do in real estate, but my right. aunt wants to sell their house. My yeah. brother is having some struggles of going into foreclosure. This person needs an apartment um, and could possibly be a renter of mine. It's been a completely different world when you just tell people what it is that you're possibly looking for. Yeah, agreed. Thank you. Thank you for backing me up on that um, <laughs> because I talk about it all the time, all the time in um, the Lady Landlord Facebook group of just making sure to do that and also networking. It sounds like at that time, did you have kind of like a big group of people around you? Did you have a network of people or did you have to kind of go out and start talking with people and looking for new people to kind of bring into your circle? I didn't. Yeah, I didn't have a network really at all. Well, I did, but it was all church, church related, which wasn't necessarily helpful. Um, not that they were <laughs> bad. They just, you know, they weren't into real estate. They weren't into uh, any, any of the things that I wanted to really be into, which I was at this point, just to give you some context on this story, I had gotten married and we were making maybe 18 grand a year, 18, okay. 19 grand a year. And so we were kind of struggling financially, yeah. which was part of the reason we got into, I took the real estate position. Um, so all of my network was really in one industry and I had to build a new network in a new industry. And mm -hmm. um, so my networking skills were less than 
probably way inferior to your networking skills at the time. But all I knew to do was to start sharing with people that I was working with. Yeah, one day I'd love to own real estate. You know, one day I'd love to do this. And then when I got into marketing, I was able to build a really, really good network by telling people, even on social media, this is what I'm wanting to do. These are my goals. And people rally will rally around you when they know how to help you. Completely agreed. And people want to see the people that we know, love, trust. We want to see those people succeed. But yeah. I appreciate you and thank you, Taylor, for being so open to share like a number and really where you were. I feel like we don't, we don't discuss that very often. And people are always kind of like, oh, this person probably had money. They probably had some trust fund no way. for them no to way. buy real estate. So I appreciate you not only just saying like, you know, I was struggling in this position, but really also sharing what struggling is. I've talked to people that are like, oh, I'm especially here in New York. Oh, I'm struggling. I only make six figures. And you're yeah. like, no, 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 honey. Like that's, <laughs> unless you were <laughs> yeah. on food stamps, like that doesn't yeah. necessarily count as struggling. And also it does also share that when you are in that position where you are struggling and trying to, to make moves to change what you're looking for, you also have to sometimes change the network that you're going to be around. Like you said, the people that, we're in your church group, which I'm sure we're lovely and are great people. We're not necessarily the person that was going to help Taylor now get into this wealth generation kind of mode and be able to kind of further what you were looking to do in your own life. Does that sound that's accurate? It. That's it. A hundred percent. Yeah. Which is hard to do. I think it's really hard yeah. sometimes to change, you know, circles because we may grow up with people and, we have all of this history and backstory. And it's not that you have to cut everyone out. You know, I still have all of those friends. It's just that yeah, I had to make a proactive choice that I'm going to expand the people that I spend time with. And sometimes that means you have to spend a little bit more less time with the current crew so you can make time with the new crew. I, I hate it when I, I do see people get stuck because they grew up with this circle. And so, and maybe that circle is a little bit toxic. Part of it's good, but a lot of it's bad. And people don't advance because ultimately they want it. They kind of stay in this plateaued environment with people. And uh, I just, when I see people make the leap into new networks, new territories, I always try to honor them and kind of confirm that because it's pretty scary at the beginning. You don't really know if you're doing the right thing. If this is what I should be doing. You know, am I a sellout? Am I letting old friends go? At the end of the day, you, you do have to make, it's putting that oxygen mask on first. You got to take care of yourself and make sure that you're moving directionally towards the place that you should be for your family, for the people around you. And uh, you're 100% accurate. And it was hard for me at first, but it was ultimately worth it. Worth it. Exactly. Because also like, we have to remember that once again, like our, our circle friends, people we've been with, been friends with for years that we grew up with, like they still are parts of our life. But if you yourself desire something more, if you want something else out of life, we have to be willing to change and grow with that yes. to, to obtain that. It's kind of yeah. like that idea that we can't be sitting there doing the exact same thing, thinking that we're going to get different results. We ourselves have to change and grow. And we should always, as humans, be in this perpetual state of growth um, yeah. in order to then really attract and be able to have an opportunity to go after want. And I can say that the 15,000 women that we have in the Lady Landlords Facebook group itself are all asking and looking for something bigger and something that can really provide something and improve the quality of life that they have today. So we have to get a little uncomfortable, um, get a little comfortable with the uncomfortable, as they say, and be willing to change some of those relationships and grow as people and grow with the network. Um, I think that's so, it's so cool about our community is that there are, you just found thousands of other women like yourself that are looking for those changes. And it's a great opportunity to kind of be able to build there. Um, so, now, 
when at any point, like back once again, now thinking about this, when you just got married, you took that job as that property manager. Did you like dream, daydream, think about getting to the place where you are today? Not as, not as, um, I didn't see it then. I wanted to, I had goals. My wife was an entrepreneur actually first. So she had her own hair salon. Um, I didn't know, I actually didn't really know what entrepreneurship was until we got married. You know, you hear these stories about people like when they were seven years old, they started a lemonade business. And I'm like, man, sometimes I wish that was me because I would have had that experience, but it wasn't at all. You know, my, my wife was able to, she built her business pretty quickly in Memphis. And so even when I was at the real estate company, I was making more money. And um, within about a year, she was, you know, making way more money than I was. And so my, my vision shifted as her vision shifted. And I think what I wanted more than anything was to have the freedom to work when I wanted to, from Mm -hmm. wherever I wanted to, because she's, her name is Lindsay. She's making money. She can go to work when she wants or not work when she wants. And I'm showing up to a nine to five. And so I'm kind of like, wait a minute. Like, how do I get out of this? You know? Yeah. Um, So my vision was very narrow. It wasn't like, you know, I want to have a billion in real estate and blah, blah, blah. It was, you know, I want to be able to like work from Starbucks in the lobby and work three days a week or four days a week. And once I started moving towards that, and this is the funny thing about vision. This is the funny thing about goals is when you see what's possible, mm-hmm. the proper response, and this is what will happen to you, is your vision will begin to enlarge. And at first, you want to make 100 grand. But then when you get to 100, you're like, well, I think that 200 is actually pretty doable. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you don't want to get stuck on that because that can become a hamster wheel where it's like, you know, you're always looking for like, well, that person has a bigger boat or that she makes more money or, and that's not the necessarily the path to freedom. But mm-hmm. what is healthy, in my opinion, is for you to set a target, move towards that target, but be comfortable. And this comes from your circle, your environment. If you're paired up with a bunch of people who have 10 times as many assets as you do, it's natural Mm -hmm. for you to be like, well, maybe I need to double my goals. Maybe I need to keep (laughs) growing. So I didn't, to answer your question, I didn't see any of this happening. Um, I just didn't have the capacity to see that. You know, that we started Traffic and Funnels, which is the main service business in 2015. Um, we started sales mentor, which is the staffing company in 2019. And now we've got a third service business and wealth gap has two businesses in it. And it's like, Oh my goodness. When you, when you look back, it's kind of crazy. All I was doing, let me simplify this for you. is just like, take the next step, mm-hmm. master it, and then take the next step and then take the next step. And you learn as you go. And I tell people this all the time. If, if you're driven more by the outcome than you are by the process or the journey, like, you're probably going to burn out. And I think this is, this is also a, a male thing. So I don't know if, if, if the feminine energy will struggle with this the same way, but on the masculine energy, it's like, we just want to, you know, set every target on fire, burn everything in our way. Like, you know, get it's, it can be really unhealthy. And mm-hmm. one of the things my wife is really, really good at, she's helping with is like, maybe we can just hang out here and enjoy the process for a little bit. And I think that that's such a brilliant tug of war to happen inside of your own life. You know, I don't know if I'm making sense, but no, I like how you call that a tug of war. So I, I struggle with that. Like I'll have no problem admitting that, that I just want to be like, cool. I just want to like get to the end. I just want to get to my goals. 
And for all of our listeners, they always know that my goal is actually to go live in the Dominican Republic and live on a beach. So it's <laughs> very different than New York. But so I just want to get to that end point. To me, like every day, like I feel like you've seen those memes, I'm sure, like on Facebook or whatever that are just like, oh, I woke up again today and I'm not a millionaire yet. You know, yeah. and it's just, I, I feel like I'm that person that just like wakes up and I'm like, where is this now? But sometimes we really need to take a step back and say, well, look how far I've come. I didn't plan on investing in real estate. That wasn't something that it wasn't on my goals. As we talked about before, I'm a cancer researcher. I didn't plan on buying real estate. I didn't plan on buying the second house, the third house, the fourth house, you know, and now, um, now I, I was able to grow my portfolio to, to 10, to 10 doors, which to me actually puts me in that financially free kind of category. Wasn't what I set out to do. Wasn't my goal, but I have that struggle of like, I want this all to have happened yesterday. But and it's funny because my husband is very similar than to your wife, Lindsay, where my husband just kind of like, but look what you've accomplished. Why don't we just enjoy the fact we have nine houses today? Can we be a little, can we be happy right. that we have that? Let's take right. a look and actually enjoy that process and realize, as I said before, so I will say that it was my, I need to listen to my own advice. Sometimes we need to be able to grow with ourselves. We need to be perpetually kind of upgrading and changing. So like you said, your vision at one point was like, okay, let me just get to like a hundred grand in income. Then it was okay. Well, let me get to 200 grand. And these things kind of just open our minds and open doors for us of what else is possible. But that tug of war is completely normal for any of us in totally. entrepreneur world in investing world of just saying, well, this is what I want. Why do I have to actually do the work? Why can't I just like skip to the end process? Totally true. Yep. So a little difficult for us to understand, but I'm glad it sounds like that's something that you've really honed in on. And I feel like that's actually probably been one of your best assets as an entrepreneur is that it sounds like you're really looking at what is the next step. And then what's the next step after that? I loved when you said that really for you, it's master this, then figure out what's next, not trying to take on everything all at the same time. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, the framework that we have, for clients and then now myself that I even use and potentially helpful for you as well as you've got that driven gene um, is you know to to get to build drive you look into the future and you look at what could be and you look at what should be and what do you want and what's the destination but a lot of times I've found people people will do that at the expense of looking at the past and yeah. so I have you know one of the things I do just for me is I got really into journaling in okay. 2013 ish so i've got thousands and thousands and thousands of journal entries i use an app called day one and write that down. so so legit like you know if i pulled up day one right now and looked back at 2015 oh my goodness like <laughs> i am so grateful like look at all of the things that have happened and oh my god what has god done like you know but we forget to do that sometimes and so we just get like we're running hot all the time we've got all of this drive and all of this you know, I just want to get there, get there, get there. Sometimes inserting one time a day or one time every other day where you're looking backwards and day mm -hmm. one allows you to put pictures in there. And so legit, I can go through and relive parts of my life. And it really locks in the perspective for me. Like, man, everything's going to be okay. Look how far we've come. You know, mm -hmm. even if we don't move forward at all for the next one year, like look how far ahead we are from 2016 or 2017. It's a really healthy, content feeling to have from time to time. No, I agree. I'm actually, I'm going to have to check out day one. I think that sounds great because I, I think it is very hard to remember where we came from, 
Remember that with a struggle that we had yesterday, we got through that thing that we all thought was going to be like the end of our life, that it was going to completely destroy us, that we're never going to make it through. 2020. (laughs) (laughs) You had to shout that out, right? You had to add that in there. Um, But also like, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed too. And I hope that you're proud of this, like of what you've accomplished in a short period of time. When you talk about like starting this business in 2015, starting this business in 2018, those are not that long ago. You have yeah. accomplished and really grown so much in a short period of time um, that I think is really kind of amazing. But you still have that mentality of let's master this and then let's move on to the next step. So it's once again, it's not like this is taking, so all of our listeners out here can just understand that it's not like you have to wait 60 years to get to where you want to be. If this is something that you can do one step at a time, enjoying the journey, not getting burnt out, but still moving towards your goals of generational wealth. Yep. So now why, as you've kind of grown, and once again, now you've developed and become like kind of a different person, what is that like, why, what is that purpose for generational wealth that keeps you kind of motivated and going? Uh, It's probably multiple things. Um, For starters, uh, you know, I do, I have a family and when I was coming up in, you know, going through high school and college. Um, my, my family had a difficult time. They went through a bankruptcy and I remember just being in a, not, not super vulnerable. Cause I like had a job. I was actually a server at a restaurant and I was like, I was a homeless, but I remember being in a position kind of being like, wow, you know, my dad's always made so much money. And, um, now I'm, I'm having to pay for my own gas and I'm, I don't, there's no help. Like nobody's, it was probably one of the first moments of like, nobody can save me right now. Like if I lose this job. Um, and if you build on top of that into me, then working at a church after, after that season and not having much money, you know, I, I just, I want to, I want to teach my kids. I don't want to give them everything where it's like, you know, they're, they're not gonna, you know, my, my two-year-old, her name is Kate. Her middle name is wild. And she lives up to that middle name, uh, W I L D E. She is the best in the world, but she's crazy, but she's not going to be a trust fund baby. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to give her, she's going to have to learn the Mm -hmm. rules and the financial intelligence, but it's so, it's, it's fulfilling to me to know that, you know, my kids will grow up knowing that they have the rules of the game and their dad taught them and their mom taught them. And I didn't necessarily get that. Um, And it's, my parents were amazing and I love them and uh, you know, they have it, they have their lives together in a great way, but I never got the rules from them, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And so part of the, when we talk generational wealth, people tend to think John Rockefeller and Carnegie, and they think of <clears throat> the Rothschilds and, you know, you, we can talk about that if you want to, you know, we can, there are these massive whole life policies you can put together, build irrevocable living trust. Like I know all of that cause I had to get into it, but at least half of the game when it comes to generational wealth is the intelligence necessary to make smart decisions. And I think that's where we're lacking when you talk about the American education system and schools and what are we teaching our kids? Because I don't know about you, but I came out of school, you know, not really knowing how to budget money. Just no. didn't know how to do it. We had, we had one, one class. I will never forget this class. It was like the, like, um, like a home at class or something like that. And literally we were taught how to write a check in script. And that yeah. was the only, and that was one day for like 30 minutes. It was like, here's how you write a check. Yep. Make sure you sign on the bottom. 
And that was our financial education. And I went to a really good school. Like I, I went to a public school in a really good place in Westchester County. Like I went to like a top school. And the most I got from a financial education was how to write a checkout. Because that is basically financial intelligence, right? How to spend money, how to write a check. How to spend it's, money. It's, it's, I it's love crazy. how you said that. How to spend, not how yeah. to save, not how to invest, yep. not how to build wealth, yep. but literally how to spend, how to put money back in the economy. And, and the reason why, and this is like, you know, if you study, you know, the, the Fed just had a meeting yesterday and there's all of these things right now because they're, they're struggling to maintain and contain uh, the inflation rate right now because of all the uh, extra money we've put into the system. And I think that a lot of it comes down to uh, people who are educated well are more dangerous to establish the establishment. And so it's kind of suppressed and not, right. you know, not in a way I'm not being like, you know, like uh, conspiratorial or anything. It's just like, you know, we, we don't do a good job in America teaching financial education and financial independence, because if you're independent, then you're not any, you're no longer subject to the machine. And so when it comes down to it, when we talk about generational wealth, what are my whys? What drives me today? You know, I do, I want the freedom to be able to travel and, you know, I, I don't, I don't see myself buying a whole island in Dominican, but you can do that. And that's <laughs> going to be amazing. Um, but I, I want my, my family and my kids to be able to grow up because I'm, I'm, we're not going to be here forever. My kids are going to be here one day doing this without me. And I want to make sure that they have the resources, which is intelligence, education, a little bit of funding. Mm -hmm. to be able to live out their lives and their dreams. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, and this is not a question that I'm asking for you necessarily to solve, but I would love to hear your opinion in, um, on it. But since we're not getting a financial education from school, since we are not learning in, those, in the, the typical avenues that we think of we should get our education for life, how do we go about educating ourselves about financial literacy? Well, you're, people like you are doing a great job at that. Um, you know, I didn't pay like to say that. this, she didn't pay me to say that. I would, <laughs> I would be honest with you, but people legitimately, cause we run, you know, we run massive, massive education businesses. Um, and we don't have any right now that are on the topic of financial intelligence, but there are people like you and people like me in different veins that are doing a really good job at, you know, raising up platforms and raising up, you know, men and women to learn the rules of the game. You know, there are books that people can study. I think my first book that was like, oh my goodness, like I, everything I know is wrong was uh, Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And Ooh, great topic, because I'm sure yeah. most of our listeners have actually read that. So, so come on, okay. give there, I want to, I'd love to hear your critique on this. There, there was nothing tactical that like was, you know, I don't, when people ask me today about what's a good book that I can learn about money, I actually don't share with them that book. I'm like, you know, you need to get into like, um, the creature from Jekyll Island, if you've read that one, or the Bitcoin standard actually is not as much about crypto as it is the history of finance and currencies. So there are some really good ones. But when I was in La Jolla, California, at a mm -hmm. Hilton hotel on the treadmill, and I was reading about, this is funny, because I remember exactly where I was. And Kiyosaki in this book was talking about how he wanted a new car. And so instead of paying for it, he had his stockbroker, um, mm -hmm basically go out, invest into some high growth companies, create the money, paid the car in cash. I was like, it, it just hit me. I was like, I shouldn't be paying for anything. Financial <laughs> intelligence basically procures assets for free. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of started me down just a rabbit hole. Like I have to figure out how to do this because I had gotten myself at that point to making good money. We were probably half a million plus of income a year. Everything was good. Life was great. But that was the thing that taught me, like, 
I'm paying for things one-to-one. And when yeah. you learn how to put your assets, you, you flip that around, you fund the asset account first, and then those assets pay for everything else outside. And so, you know, not necessarily a critique, but that was the big idea that I got from that book. And it was all I needed to, to run down that rabbit hole. Love it. So let's apply that concept now to real estate. Mm-hmm. So share with me then how we can do that instead of the buying of a car. What does that look like then for rental properties? Okay. So first of all, uh, especially right now, land would be the equivalent of, um, you know, like a, 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 a crypto that's fixed in supply. There's no more land. We can't get more of it. Elon is trying to get us, you know, wherever he wants us to go, Mars or the moon or whatever. Uh, and if that happens, then we, we might have a spike in supply of land because we can go buy a plot of land on Mars. But for now, we are stuck with a current fixed supply of land. When you can, when you can buy a piece of land, what you're buying is you're buying the antithesis of something like the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is not fixed. We pump a lot of U.S. dollars into the economy, but we can't do that with land. When you have fixed supply and you have an ever-increasing rate of demand, the value is guaranteed to go up, mm-hmm. right? So everyone should just know the math. When you put a building on top of a piece of land and you put a renter, then it turns the appreciating asset into a cash-flowing asset because appreciation and cash flow are not the same thing. Um, when you add leverage into the mix, you're able to triple and quadruple the rate of returns because if you think about the way inflation works, can you tell me how deep you want me to go on this? Um, Keep going. This is when, really helpful. When you put a when you put an asset under a piece of leverage, what mm. happens is that land value will appreciate, but the debt does not appreciate. Debt is fixed. So you have a hundred thousand dollar piece of land. You have seventy five thousand of that as debt. You have twenty five thousand in equity. Well, when that land becomes two hundred thousand dollars, the debt doesn't double. Mm-hmm. The debt stays at seventy five, and so the wealthiest people in the world today, the super, super, super rich, they are indiscriminately just going out and buying land. Because if you have all of this excess capital, the only way to protect capital is to get it converted out of USD into a piece of land. So anyways, um, how does how does real estate play into you know financial freedom? And how do you use financial intelligence to do that? You, ideally, you take the amount of money that you make, you siphon off a piece, and you put that into an account that can, with leverage, buy mm-hmm. yourself property, cash flow it. And then after a certain amount of time, you can actually access the equity in that property via HELOCs, via refinancing, via whatever. And you harvest the cash flows from that. You harvest the appreciation to buy more assets. That's so just like, you, just like you were talking about in the book, you're not necessarily going out and trading that one for one. You're not saying, okay, car costs $20,000. I'm in New York. I don't know what cars cost. Cars cost, car costs $20,000. <laughs> So I need to then pay $20,000. That needs to be an exchange, right? I give you the $20,000. You give me a car that's worth $20,000 till I drive it off the lot. But that's that one-to-one exchange that you're talking about. But here, what you're saying from the book and now what we're applying to real estate is really the idea of what can you do with that $20,000 to actually increase and leverage that money that you already have in your hand today to be able to bring you that asset. So once again, now you're saying for the car example, that 20K is now in an account that's, that's generating extra income, that's increasing from that 20 grand. So now we can buy that car with that with what we've leveraged from the original $20,000. Same yes. thing with how we can now make that with real estate, 
Because once we have that asset, once you have that one rental property, as you said, we can pull out some of that equity. So now from that one house, we can actually get that second, third property all by using that same first one. Is that a good summary? Here's another yep. example, just really quick. If you want me to take you through a quick example, a buddy yeah, of mine please. wants a, he, he wanted a piece of land in Birmingham ish, the Smith Lake area. And okay. so, you know, 150,000, $180,000 plot of land, you know, you put leverage on that and the bank will, will give him that land and it's going to be a thousand bucks a month. Okay. So rather than just putting $50,000 down and then paying a thousand bucks a month, mm -hmm. what he's, what he's doing right now is he has some money inside of our fund which is a non-variable rate of return. And then he's got a couple properties that he got hooked up with through Devin. And those two investments are paying him a couple thousand dollars a month, which pays the land. The land is appreciating. And at the end of the term, he can get his full capital back and he doesn't pay for the land. So the land is essentially free. Isn't that Makes beautiful? Sense? It's amazing. Yeah. And now, do you feel that there's any other investment vehicle that can provide these same types of returns like we're talking about within real estate? Not stabilized. You know, not you stabilized. can, but not stabilized. I mean, if you were, if, if you can predict the future and you know that <laughs> Uber is going to be what it is, then yeah, you know, you could do that. But yeah, so you know, all those I tell people, people out there with their crystal ball, feel free to give me a call. You and can we'll talk pay to Taylor you for not offline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll pay you for access to that. But yeah. I, you know, I told people like last year, we were kind of going into, this was early February, we were going, we all sort of were, COVID was on our radar and we were like sort of paying attention and we were talking about real estate. And I was like, I think real estate is still the safest asset class in the world because what you have to realize is that when you invest into the markets or even the S and P or the indexes or whatever, you are betting on, mm -hmm. you know, which is not necessarily bad, but you're betting on American innovation and financial engineering as mm -hmm. compared to China and the UK and every, like when you invest into housing, you're really making this bet. You're saying, I think that in the next 20 years, people are going to want to have buildings to live in. Mm -hmm. That's the bet. Yeah, I don't think people are going to want to live on streets. I think they're going to want a house. Really? Well, I, Taylor, I don't know if I can agree with you on that one. I don't I mean, know if I can get on board. It's very, very controversial. <laughs> I know people love the streets, but here's the thing. It's what an amazing bet to make. And so when, when we talk about safety, stability, there's nothing that can, can compare to it because there's no other bet that can really hold the same, you know, Vegas odds as the bet that people don't want to be homeless. Well, there you well, go. Not, like that's great. Not only is, is housing clearly something that we need, right? And that's just the way that the world works and that's how we're going to live. But I also feel like when we talk about kind of now coupling this with that idea that we don't really get that financial literacy piece in our, in our typical school system here, or from necessarily our parents, I grew up in a very financially illiterate home as well. I do feel like to me, real estate and understanding like a rental property is a much easier concept for me to get into investing than trying to figure out stocks or Bitcoin or this other new thing yeah. that popped up yesterday. I, under, I am a human that lives in a house. I therefore have a pretty good concept of yep. what having somebody else that would then need to live in a house would be like. Like it's just an yep. easy, to me, it's a very easy access into investing then now I feel like, as we talked about with the car scenario, I now have this extra disposable income that I can say, okay, well, now I can go learn this new skill. Now I can put some money into stocks. Now I can put some money into Bitcoin because I'm taking that money that I already made in real estate. It's not what I'm trading my time and money for. It's now what I'm using that I've already built and already invested in 
that's kind of now a little bit of that play money that I can say, okay, now I can take it and go learn a new type of investing yep. that is to me, to me at least, more complicated than give roof overhead to human. Right. This is about as basic as you can get and as safe as you can get. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's always going to be a need for that, right? We're, yep. we're not going anywhere. We're, like you said, people are not looking to go live out on the streets. Um, neither one of our locations, I really think are great year round outside weather. So, nope. you know, <laughs> nope. don't actually know of any place that has that. Um, so is that for you personally, are you, I know, you, I know personally that you are heavily invested like in real estate, but is that still your preferred method? Even now, years later, is real estate investing still your preferred method of investing? For capital protection and, you know, growth, hundred yes. percent. Absolutely. There's, there's nothing, you know, that's 75% of my portfolio in terms of storing money is in real estate right now. And when you say storing money, I want to just make sure that this is clear for our listeners. You're talking about, once again, where you can kind of park that money. Like we, because I love the other thing that circling way back to the beginning of your story, when you talked about, you talked about getting that big tax bill, right? And you said, okay, shit, like we need to figure out something we can do once to, to alleviate the size of yeah. that bill, right? Yeah. And real estate was the avenue that you ended up taking. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose that and the benefits that you see in real estate when it comes to taxes. Yeah, so when, when we're talking about earning money, it's a very different discussion than when we're talking about you know investing money or is slice investing in half and say, you know, you got investors who have, they want really high yields, but they're mm -hmm. willing to tolerate a, a high risk appetite versus investors who want a decent yield, but they don't mm -hmm. wanna lose the money. I think most of the people listening to this, like you work hard for the money, you know, you're, you're not lazy. You have worked hard to create the capital that you have. The, the last thing you want to do is like put it into some asset class that like it could double or you could lose everything. You know, that's, yeah. that's a gamble and that's not what we do. And so when it comes to our decision to really park money in real estate, it's, it's mostly because if you go through the risks of real estate, you know, the, the list is very short compared to stock portfolios or mutual funds. You know, you've got whole life insurance, you've got real estate. Those two things are the safest asset classes in the world, in my opinion, if you purchase right. Oh, I love that you said that. I am a fan of whole life insurance. Yes. Not everybody else is. And from someone that reads a lot of the different blogs within financial independence and all that, just like we talked about with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, there are certain people that are like, oh, well, this is the Bible of financial independence. So I have to follow absolutely everything. I'm not going to think what's good for me. I'm going to be like, oh, what is the masses going to do? <laughs> right. And I always teach people, no, we have to take in that information and then yeah. apply it to ourselves and then say, is this something that will work for me or is something not, right? There is no complete blueprint for all 15,000 people listening to this to be able to do the right. exact same. There's just not. But I'm so happy that you gave a shout out to whole life insurance. It's amazing. Per permanent coverage is an asset and people just get confused on it, yes. which is fine. It's, it's complex. It's complicated, mm -hmm. but it's worth studying. So, but, but back to the, you know, the tax situation, we figured out that, so he here's the formula for real estate depreciation. You have to cost segregate it. They're not going to write off the land, but you can write off the building. And so if you take uh, a portfolio, let's say 10 houses at $300,000 per house, you have $3 million in real estate. You take that $3 million, and this is going to get into some math here. So people, 
I hope their eyes don't want, you know, water over and just stay with me. You take 80% of that. Let's just ballpark it because, you know, cost seg 80% is probably the building 20% is the land. And then you can write off, so that's 2.4 million. You can write off 17% of that 2.4 million. Okay. So it comes up to $408,000. Okay. Big deal. It's kind of it's a big, big deal. deal. It's a big deal. And that's called forced depreciation. And when you get into big cost segregation write-offs, it's called um, hyper forced depreciation. CPAs call it different things. Um, but for us, if we purchase, if we acquire seven times, about seven times the amount of our annual income in real estate, what happens is you know, the IRS looks at that and they say, you know, you bought so much real estate that you have all of these losses that we're not even going to take taxes from you because your depreciation equals the income that you made. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a one-to-one, -one, you know, wash. There's not really another asset class that re the government rewards you the same way <laughs> as just saying like, you don't have to pay taxes. I think people look at this and they're like, well, that's a bad thing. You're a scum, you know, you don't pay taxes, but we're, we're, we're in a system that literally incentivizes you to do what is good for people. That, right. That's just like, we, we buy houses, we fix them, we make them look really beautiful and we allow people to rent them for, you know, at or under market rates. And so nothing else is going to give you the same tax agility that real estate does and still cash flow. You know, you can buy a plane and you can take 95% of that plane, you can depreciate it down and not pay taxes, but that plane is not going to cash flow for you. It's not going to store its value. It's going to depreciate every single day for the rest of its life. And so with real estate, it's the only asset class that gets more and more valuable. It cash flows while you're holding it and it saves you the money in tax liability. So this is kind of just like an all around like win-win. That's win -win. what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing you say that like that's, and I'm so happy that there are so many people that are really realizing what an amazing vehicle um, this can, that real estate can be for someone that this can really change our complete trajectory on, on wealth building. Um, that really excites me. I'm so glad that you broke down those numbers for us. I'm so glad that you took us through multiple different scenarios of why real estate is such a great benefit for all of us that are looking for this financial freedom. Is there any other tip that you would like to leave our ladies with today about either investing, generational wealth, anything of that side, Taylor? The, the biggest tip is probably just to start small and somewhere. Um, our first deal was a house in uh, Watuga outside of Dallas. It was what state is that? <laughs> yeah, Dallas, Texas is like $189,000. It wasn't a big deal. And we didn't, you know, we didn't renovate it. We didn't do any, we bought it from someone who turnkeyed, turnkeyed it for us. It was our first mm -hmm. deal. And I think we cash flowed 300 bucks a month on that. And so it's mm -hmm. not like, oh man, like, you know, 300 bucks a month, we can buy anything in the world we want, but that's not the point. The point is that you just take that first step. You start with one deal and then all of a sudden you are a real estate investor. It's like okay. day one, you just cross into that threshold. And then when you're comfortable, you add a second house. And then when you're comfortable, you get a third one. And this is like, I think some people just set themselves up for some heartache because they want to go from zero to owning the Dominican Republic, <laughs> sound familiar, <laughs> in, you know, in a couple months, but life doesn't necessarily work that way. You got to do the first thing right. And then you earn yeah. the right to do the second thing. And so my advice is 
kind of follow in our footsteps a little bit, following your footsteps. You started with one deal. Mm-hmm. Everyone does. The, the biggest real estate investor in the world today started with one deal and That's they true. just built from there. And so you can actually follow in the same trajectory. It doesn't sound like tactical advice, but it's simple and it's easy to implement. And once you get the first deal, you're going to be that much closer to getting the second one. Completely agreed. And honestly, we need to get in the game. You need 100%. to get into the game. Like if this is what you're looking for and we sit around, you could read all the books on it. You can listen to all the podcasts on it, but unless you get your first deal, you know, you have to get in the game to be able to win it. So that's right. Taylor, thank you very much for every, all of our listeners. I'll make sure in the show notes to link to Taylor and his different businesses. So you can follow his story and his journey as he continues to invest and grow. Also, if anybody is looking for help on making sure that you can get that first deal, please check out the Lady Landlords Roadmap Program. That is our signature mentorship program. You can find the information in the link as well down in the show notes. And we will be back next week with our next episode of the Lady Landlords Podcast. Thank you all for listening in today. And Taylor, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Discover how you can start building wealth with real estate, even without experience in our free book, Why Real Estate and How to Get Started by visiting wealthcapholdings.com slash book. That's wealthcapholdings.com slash book.